When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. At the end of last year, I published a Twitter thread. It featured the five most listened to episodes of This Day in Miami History from the year 2022. It featured episodes about Richard Nixon, the Mutiny Hotel in Coconut Grove, Pope John Paul II, and Al Capone. But the episode that topped the list, the number one most listened to episode in 2022, was our episode from February 13th, 1964, when the Beatles arrived in Miami for their week-long stay centered around their second performance on The Ed Sullivan Show. Not only was it our most listened to episode, it's a personal favorite, perhaps the best episode we've done. There's so much rich content, particularly audio content, from that week, and so many amazing stories. So when I discovered earlier this year that the University Press of Florida was releasing a new book by Bob Keeling, Good Day Sunshine State, How the Beatles Rocked Florida, I was intrigued. It's a great topic, and Keeling would be able to use not only the Miami content, but other time that the Beatles spent in the Sunshine State. It was too good of an opportunity to pass up. I reached out to Bob, and he was eager to talk about the book, the Beatles, and their influence on both South Florida and the rest of our home state. So I was able to talk to Bob earlier this week about all those things in what I think is a wonderful conversation. And so I really do hope you enjoy this bonus episode of This Day in Miami History with Bob Keeling, author of Good Day Sunshine State, How the Beatles Rocked Florida. Hello, everyone. Uh, happy to have you today and, and incredibly honored and pleased to uh, be joined by Bob Keeling. Uh, Bob is the author of the, the book, Good Day Sunshine State, How the Beatles Rocked Florida. Bob, how are you doing today? I'm wonderful, Matthew. It's great to be with you. Great to be talking to you. So um, your book is incredibly focused on a particular time in the history of the Beatles as a band, but an incredibly important time. 
about the band. And we're going to talk about the book in just a second. But before we do that, I want to talk about you. And if you could describe your connection to the band, it's obviously such an important part of global pop culture. Uh, how would you say you came into your familiarity with the Beatles, your fandom, I'm assuming, with the Beatles, if you're writing a whole yeah. darn book? Uh, what's your personal connection to the band? I think in that sense, I kind of won the DNA lottery uh, because I was the youngest of six children. I am. And my oldest sister had all the original Beatles vinyl. OK, so while everybody else in my I was very young at the time, but still everybody else in my age group might have been listening to more kind of bubblegum pop acts. I was listening to Revolver, Hard Day's Night, Help. I'm from a very young age, and I, I, I think I share the opinion of a lot of people that the music still sounds so fresh today. It's still so evocative today uh, of a time and place, and uh, I, I think that's indicative that it's great, timeless music because it just keeps being discovered by ensuing generations. So, you know, that's my story. I've been a fan. I've seen the... Um, Beatles solo several times and as recently as as Paul at Camping World Stadium in Orlando last May and it was just magnificent that's great and he was actually just in he, he heck he might still be in Florida I know Paul was here as of like two weeks ago for an event in Miami so even after uh these decades since their first arrival here uh you know Florida still has a certain a certain charm so being a fan of the Beatles is one thing Deciding to write a book about this particular chapter of their history is a whole different level of commitment. What what pulled you into writing this book? You've, you've written books before. Why did this book kind of uh, jump out to you? Well, my raison d'etre has always been finding pre-Disney history in Florida, because especially where I am in uh, just north of Orlando, people think that nothing happened before Walt Disney came to town. And, uh, you know, given the fact that um, uh, I'm a Beatles fan, and when I started researching it, I realized the Beatles spent more time in Florida than anywhere else in North America during this watershed year, 1964. So this book is not at all a stretch. You know, there's over 200 pages of narrative. And what I like to see it as is three different sections. You've got innocence, influence, and then their earliest activism in the United States all happened in the in the pot boiler that was 1964 Florida. There was a lot going on. So how do you decide, like you said, this is someone from the outside that's not familiar with the history here might say, wow, just just uh, this small chunk of time. But in reality, there is so much richness that we'll talk about in just a little bit. What's the process to jump into this as an author? What what challenges arose in this book compared to other works? And and, and specifically, if you could kind of walk people through how, how does someone get through the process of getting this to to a finished product? Yeah. What I like to do is is follow the timeline. I, I do like to do it sequentially, at least in the research. And I was very fortunate to have a number of primary sources agree to speak with me. And this book has over 30 original primary source interviews. So this isn't something aggregated off Google or something. I had access to Beatle um, letters, artwork, photographs from the Hard Rock collection. Uh, I, I went through the Flagler College Civil Rights Collection, which was critical uh, on the end of my research for the last section, which was their first activism in America, which was in Northeast Florida, Jacksonville. And uh, you'd be amazed how many people are open 
and friendly, especially people of advanced age who who may tend to think that, yeah, my time has come and gone and maybe people aren't as interested anymore. And like, for instance, when uh, I sent an email to John Lowengard, now that name may not mean anything. He was the Life magazine photographer who took the picture of the Beatles bobbing heads in the pool on Biscayne Bay, which became an iconic picture of them. Sent him an email and within a very short period of time, he's like, yeah, sure, how can I help? And those sources lead you to other sources like Gail Cameron, who is the reporter for life, who convinced the Beatles to get into that cold swimming pool, even though they were thinking they were going to have more than more of a holiday than having to work. And she had a great line, you know, she was at the Deauville and she's please, John, could you just I, I know you're supposed to be having some time off, but this would be big for us. And he's finally, OK, love will do it. And, and I, to me, moments like that are gold. So it's really just sincerity and it's doing the digging, finding the people, approaching them. And, you know, I've, I've been a journalist in Florida for over 30 years, so that probably doesn't hurt either. It helps to build relationships. Yeah, I can, you know, we work in, in uh, different media, but um, that's something in doing this podcast that I've been amazed by that. I don't think I've heard no once when I've asked to reach out to someone to talk about something. I'm like, why are you talking to like, I mean, this being one example of many, but just folks, you know, when you have an interesting story and you know, something's good, people want to talk about it, you know, and, and, and as an author, I know that like, you, you have to have a nose for what's good. You have to have a nose for not writing hundred pages and realizing it isn't a good story. You have to kind of figure that out before you put the work in And you've certainly done that here. Yeah. And I, I think with, with several of these sources, they've since passed away, several of them. Um, Lowengard being one, Gail Cameron being another, Reggie Young of the legendary Memphis Boys, you know, the studio musician. He was part of Bill Black's combo that opened for the Beatles. And I, I wonder if these folks have a sense that, uh, you know, mortality is catching up with them and they want to share their story. And I'm, I'm just thrilled to have those stories be part of the book because they're original. These are folks who are very close to the Beatles. Another, another South Florida icon was Larry Kane, the radio man who was 21 years old. And we spent hours talking about his story and how he kind of just kind of fell into being invited to go along on both of the first two tours for the Beatles in um, North America in 64 and 65. So that was a thrill. That's great. So the, the Beatles arrive in 1964 in the United States. And obviously the the celebrated first performance on the Ed Sullivan show is, is such a really a, a, a changing of the guard almost in pop culture. Um, but it, it kicks off this this incredibly important 1964 year. And, and the Beatles make two. Correct me if I'm wrong, because please, at any point, correct me. But I believe there are two formal performances in Florida. Uh, there's the the second performance on Ed Sullivan and then the concert in Jacksonville. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to come back to Jacksonville because as you alluded to, that's kind of the, the back half of this really important development, but, but arriving Miami and, and, and spending time in South Florida, um, you know, we talked about the performance in in the Deauville, um, that week that they spent here, how does that change them? How does that, their time here in South Florida help them move along as a band? Well, I think, um, Plain and simply, they fell in love with America in Miami and Miami Beach. 
Because remember, when they were their first show at the Ed Sullivan Theater, they're basically prisoners at the hotel. And yes, they do get out a little bit by train to go to D.C. to do a show. And, you know, they did Carnegie Hall. But in terms of actually getting down to sunny Florida, seeing the beaches, Paul McCartney talked about, we'd never seen palm trees and much less beautifully tanned young women. Hmm. And, uh, you know, so so in terms of you know, having their triumph, you know, Paul had said, we didn't want to try to tour America until we had our number one song. And that was I want to hold your hand. That was really important for them. So these were just like one goal after another being realized they were on top of the world here. And uh, interviewing Ed Sullivan's grandson, he said, you know, there was much more of a vibe in Miami with the Beatles. They're at this working resort. You know, you imagine part of your job is, oh, yeah, they're going to stage this satellite Ed Sullivan show in 1964 from our ballroom. And there's people everywhere. And the generator is being taxed to its absolute limit because of all the lighting and all of that. So to me, it was just this second performance is so much more landmark in the sense that it was more real. They were in America. They had their first home cooked meal at their bodyguard's house in North Miami Beach in his tiny little policeman's house. And that had some really interesting connections in and of itself. But in terms of the band's uh, progression, I, I, I think this was more of them finally seeing success. You know, they'd been through Hamburg and played thousands of hours on the Reaper Bond, this awful, you know, red light district type place. And now all of a sudden you're at this swanky hotel in America. They've got women throwing themselves at them. And, you know, for young English guys, you know, pasty skinned who'd never really seen a beach, this was real success for them. South Florida was where they fell in love with America. You you mentioned this and and it's it's probably my favorite chapter of the whole uh, story of the Beatles in South Florida. But so I'm going to ask you to don't, don't give away all the goodies. Cause again, we want people to buy the book. Good day, sunshine. State. I'm good at teases. Yes. I'm very yes. good at teases. Yes. I, I want to talk a little bit about the buddy Dresner corner of this story. Cause buddy Dresner is one of my favorite of, of, you know, we've, we've done almost two years worth of shows. So that's probably about 25 episodes at this point. He might be one of my favorite characters that I've ever talked about on this show because he, Talk about a fish out of water and just being a, such an important character in such a big story. Uh, can oh, you yeah. give us a, a good corner of the Bunny, Buddy Dresner story? Oh, absolutely. You know, this guy was uh, the night shift sergeant for the Miami Beach Police Department. You know, he didn't know what the hell the Beatles were. And some guy comes knocking on his door after he's done the night shift and he's trying to sleep by day like a vampire. <laughs> and he gets woken up by another cop and he is P.O.'d. And they're like, hey, you got to come. The captain wants to talk to you, you know, and he's like, what the hell for? And all of that. And so to make a long story short, when they told him he was going to be the bodyguard for the Beatles, he's like, what what is Beatles? What are you talking about? So you you think, okay, this is going to be some stern, inflexible guy that's going to butt heads with the Beatles, especially with a guy like John Lennon, who wasn't real big on authority. But it wasn't that way at all. Because Buddy Dresner had this great way about him. And, and I owe a, a major debt of gratitude to Buddy's son, Barry, who gave me access to hours of a videotaped interview he did with his dad. So, again, here's another just priceless primary source of being 
like the father figure, the uncle, the big brother, the friend. You know, it, it, at one point he roomed with George. So these guys really developed a kinship for each other and a friendship that lasted for decades after he protected them there in Miami Beach. And I'll tell you this, Matthew, if, it, if, if there were no Buddy Dresner, there would be no book. He's that important. Yeah, I, I it's why I knew I could bring him up and 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 it would not spoil spoil the fun because that's again like I said I've I've talked about a number of names in South Florida over the last 2 years and and that's the one that always sticks in my mind like what a great little part of a big story but like a but someone who who's who enters the story as such a, a just a regular guy a regular Joe and becomes really central to this whole thing working out right it's 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 really fantastic so if only for that by the book, because I'm, I'm looking forward to reading the, the Buddy Dresner sections of the book, for sure. Oh, yeah, he was great. And he just was so adept at being able to deal with celebrities and not be starstruck. You know, at one point he's sitting across the table from Elvis and he's talking about the Beatles and what he did with them when he was protecting them. And, um, and, and, and it's interesting, too, to talk to folks who knew Buddy. And I interviewed several who did, and including one very um, interesting cameo, one very notable person who was who grew up as the Dresner's neighbor. And um, they all loved him. He was just a beloved figure. And um, he he's so special, and, and, it, and it means a lot to tell his story. And that's why I dedicated the book to him. That's wonderful. That's great. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. So the Beatles come to America in 1964 and they are a signal of change, but there are other forces of change afoot. 
Um, you have a nation that's still reeling from the assassination of a president. You have a civil rights movement coming into its 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 greatest point of influence with the passage of the Civil Rights Act in 1964, the Voting Rights Act of 1965. And as you allude to, the Beatles go from these observers of American culture into the shapers of American culture in this time. Um, how does their experience in Florida move them from this point of, 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 of again, nascent stardom into influential advocacy stardom? Yeah, they really did evolve from these innocents coming here, oh, beaches, palm trees, to being, as you said, cultural agents of change. And way back in the spring when they first came up with, you know, when 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 Brian Epstein is taking bookings for their first what was going to be a behemoth tour, you see right on their rider, you know, number six clause, we will, you know, the Beatles will not be obligated to play in front of uh, segregated audiences. And that was a big risky stand in the South. And I, I don't think people quite understand that Florida was right in the middle of it. I mean, this state was a real pot boiler and you had people like Cassius Clay and Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and um, Jackie Robinson, all of these notable people coming through the state and you can't tell the story of the Beatles in 1964 Florida shining a light on the African-American experience. And I, I was certainly glad to do that and see how they really were treated like second class citizens. And the Beatles were not going to put up with that. And thank goodness for the likes of Larry Kane asking them, you know, really probing their developing worldview where they said, you know, Paul, who's supposed to be, you know, the winking happy guy and all that. No, I mean, he cut right to the chase and said, we don't get it. We're, you know, we're, we're not used to being. Have any called people, which was an acceptable term back then. We're not used to them being treated as like animals or something. I have no problem with them. I wouldn't have a problem with them sitting next to me. This is 21 year old Paul. And they all were like that. And they all were like, yeah, if you're going to segregate it, we're not going to play here. But I, I think one thing the book does is sort of finally piece together why segregation didn't turn out to be an issue at the Gator Bowl. And you have to read all of the steps that happened with this remarkable federal judge, Brian Simpson, who was up in Jacksonville. And he was a Truman appointee and finally threw the hammer down and, you know, at one point took uh, testimony in court from Dr. King. And one of the things I'm really proud of is to draw this nexus philosophically and physically between the Beatles and Martin Luther King. You know, at one point, just weeks apart, they were next door to each other on, on this little street in Jacksonville where some amazing history happened, thanks largely to this judge. And now the big shining new federal courthouse in downtown Jacksonville is named after this guy. And in the book, you'll, you'll find out why. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. Jacksonville in particular is, like you said, Florida is this uh, this powder keg or boiling pot in the civil rights movement. And Jacksonville itself is really a, a a maelstrom within the maelstrom in terms of the conflict over civil rights. And there's the famous example of, um, you know, a, a hotel pool, a hotel manager pouring muriatic acid into a pool uh, when African-Americans are attempting to swim in it. Um, you have all these very ugly moments, but it, in contrast, uh, which thankfully we see this, this desegregated performance of the Beatles in the Gator Bowl uh, is really a highlight. 
How important do you think it is the fact that not only in terms of obviously nationality, but culture, the, the fact that the Beatles are, are really, I mean, I, I may be going on a, on a bit of a limb, but the, the first biggest, let's put it that way. And I don't want to say the first, cause someone will point out, you know, an actor or something from the thirties, but the first biggest pop cultural sensation from outside the United States to break in this way. The fact that they were not from here, they were not accustomed to our, our, our culture. They had their own culture and they're coming here. The fact that they are so fish out of the water, how much do you think that allows them to look at the big picture and say no? Yeah, I think it I, I think it uh, definitely entitled them to do that because remember, back in the day, African American artists often went to Europe for better treatment. Um, the jazz artists especially. And it it's kind of odd how these artists would go overseas, find success, and then come back to the United States as these big sensations, you know, that maybe they didn't get the opportunities there in the first place. And that's why they went to Europe. But yeah. You know, you talked about that, that um, incident with the pool, that was the Monson Motor Lodge in St. Augustine where Dr. King was arrested. And um, that was the first of his couple of nights in jail. One was in St. John's County, but the other that's less known was they put him back in the back of a police car with a police dog that was looking rather bewildered. It really didn't look menacing. And I have a picture of Dr. King next to this dog in the book. And uh, he was driven all the way to Jacksonville and held in solitary confinement for his own good. But think, this was Time Magazine's man of the year that was being treated like this. This was months after I Have a Dream. And to have this convergence of the Beatles and Dr. King in Florida, I think really spotlights how important the Sunshine State was to civil rights. You know, when you when you hear that discussion, you think rightfully so of Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, Georgia, et cetera. But Florida's right in there. And I hope that this gives some context to, you know, what people were putting on the line and the level of violence was was really scary for these people who were nonviolent. Yeah. And um, that didn't matter to some folks. And uh, it was a scary time for them, but they stood up for what they believed. And thank goodness they did. So the Beatles come uh, through Florida in 1964. Um, you know, they, they, they make their performances. They, they live the life, that fantastic photo of uh, them behind you uh, in the waters off of Miami beach. Um and then they depart, but but obviously their influence here continues. I, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how much the Beatles' presence in Florida influences Florida's music scene, because I think that that's something you touch on in the book, um, and yeah. I, I've heard you talk about before. Um, it 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 sticks. It really sticks. Maybe more than anywhere else. It really sticks. Yeah. Well, in, in Florida, I was lucky, and I have a bit of a chip on my shoulder because I, I think Florida gets short shrift in terms of really being the state where in the United States, I mean, the guitar greats, you know, the likes of uh, Dwayne Allman, for instance, and a lot of that culture was developed because, number one, Elvis came through like Johnny Appleseed. In 56, his big breakout year, he played more concerts in Florida than anywhere else in the United States. And then here come the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. And yeah, one one chapter is all about their influence in this uncommonly musical stretch of, you know, 50 to 100 miles between Gainesville and Jacksonville. 
and Tom Petty, you know, he just said it was like everything went from black and white to color, watching them on Ed Sullivan, and he knew what he wanted to do. And I was fortunate to interview a number of other musicians who are still with us, like Tom Ledden, who was Petty's first lead guitarist in um, several garage bands and in the group Mud Crutch. And then Mike Campbell comes along and the rest is history. But you have um, guys like Stephen Stills and the guys from Leonard Skinner, including Ronnie Van Zandt, who were so profoundly moved by the British invasion. And uh, you just have this whole fraternity of Dwayne and Greg Allman, certainly. This, this whole fraternity of rock and roll greats um, really uh, were profoundly moved and inspired by the Beatles uh, coming to America and having such great success. And the importance of people like Petty seeing that you could be a collective, okay? You could write your own songs. In America, that was that was pretty revolutionary. Buddy Holly and the Crickets did it to some degree, but other than that, this was brand new, you know. And Petty's like, "Oh, maybe I don't have to look like Elvis, you know. Maybe our group is going to look more like the Stones, you know what I mean, in the Beatles." But to have a collective that writes their own songs was revolutionary. So, I want to. We we've talked a little bit about the legacy of the Beatles' visit in their history, and now a little bit about the musical legacy that's left behind. I, I want to close with this question. So the Beatles influence pop music through today like the it's 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 the the big bang of, of modern pop basically uh their arrival and and as you alluded to musically their impact is particularly acute here where where it's really noticeable you look at the beatles through the lens of florida in this book I, i'm wondering if we can kind of turn the lens around for a second and, and tell me what can we learn about Florida through the lens of the Beatles? I think they come here as these innocents in February of 64, and they see all of the things that we take for granted. Number one, the palm trees, the, you know, the wonderful weather, um, the beaches. But by the same token, I think um, we as a population need to do a better job of celebrating our own. We have so many trailblazing rock and rollers who were influenced by the Beatles, who are now all in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And there should be some sort of uh, musical heritage tour, whether it be physical or whether it just be online, to celebrate all of these people who were profoundly moved by the Beatles. Um, I, I think overall, the nation, the world, tends to gloss over Florida as a cultural place, a, a, a place that contributed to our collective history because of all of these distractions, because it's a tourist zone, because of these ridiculous stories about Florida man all the time that, that you know, tempts people just not to take us seriously. And Florida has an amazingly rich and diverse music history, all sorts of different genres. And I would just hope that by showing what Florida meant to the Beatles, um, perhaps others can see and take seriously Florida's um, musical legacy because it, it is very deep and very rich. And it was an absolute joy to write this book. Well, Bob, it sounds like you've given yourself your next project in our conversation. The, the, the new curator of Florida's uh, 
musical heritage trail. Uh, I, I think that you can get started on that when you're done with the promo tour for this book. Um, but that sounds fantastic. I mean, it really sounds great. So uh, Bob Keeling, the author of Good Day Sunshine State, How the Beatles Rocked Florida. Um, Bob, again, I cannot thank you enough for your time and your work and your commitment to the, the history of our state. It's really fantastic. Absolutely, Matthew. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Of course. Again, the guest, Bob Keeling, the book, Good Day Sunshine State, How the Beatles Rocked Florida. You can take a look at the description of this episode or visit our website, thisdaymiamipod.com, for a link to buy Bob's book. And I do encourage you to buy Bob's book because it is going to be uh, more in-depth, more detailed than anything you're going to see about the Beatles' visit to Florida. Now, if you'd like to uh, pregame a little bit with some auditory accompaniment, uh, I do encourage you to check out our episode from last year about the Beatles' visit to Miami Beach, just one smaller part of that larger story. Um, again, thanks to Bob, um, and thanks to you, the listener, for checking out this bonus episode. We do have to have, hope to have an episode of this day in Miami history, a regular episode later this month. But, uh, you know, anytime you get a chance to talk to someone with as rich of a history as Bob, you got to do it. Uh, if you've gotten to this point, you haven't already done so, I am going to ask you to please follow at this day Miami pod at your uh, preferred social uh, media network, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Mastodon. Uh, and also follow This Day in Miami History on your preferred podcast provider. That includes all the big ones, uh, Apple, Spotify, uh, and all the way down the line. Um, again, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for uh, your feedback. Uh, and with that said, I've been Matthew Bunch. The high times and low times, all in the When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.